revolutionized basketball. A force on and off the court, cultivating a brand that made millions want to be like Mike. And Jordan. I've got a pretty good ring to it. And this weekend, the record-shattering Last Dance is back with two new episodes. That's right, two new episodes from the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary this weekend on ESPN. Uh, and didn't Positive Sean, didn't you tell us that uh, these are the episodes where things get tense <laughs> or something? This is where we find out he's trying to kill the other tiger owner. <laughs> no, no, different show, Jack. <laughs> um, uh, so er, before the thing released, there was the quote that Jordan said, there's a lot of people who aren't going to like me after this. And that is reportedly, uh, the, the meat of that is from these next three to four episodes. I don't think we played the clip where he's uh, talking bad about Isaiah Thomas. Those two guys clearly still, 30, 40 years later, hate each other. 100%. Uh, that's I mean, that's yeah, nice. Jordan, that's nice that they've held on to that. They asked Jordan about when the Detroit Pistons walked off the court without shaking their hands after the uh, the, the East Coast Finals. And uh, and Jordan was clearly, clearly very angry about that. Oh, yeah, is that what he said? Well, that's BS, I'll tell you that. BS wow. because he's realized his public opinions against him. He's an a hole, is what he is. I'm like, dude, are you gonna, are you about to throw punches? <laughs> you're a sixty year old man talking about a sports thing from back when you're all in your twenties. That seems really weird to me, but yeah. whatever. I saw Bill Lambeer of the great Detroit Pistons teams interviewed about that same thing, and he had a pretty good explanation for it. But you know, you got a bunch of uh, macho alpha males going head to head. They're gonna. What the- Ruffle each other's feathers. In normal circumstances, you're a 60-year-old man looking at some beef you had over a sporting event in your 20s. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you mostly laugh about it or at least to stay somewhat calm about it? I believe well, that <laughs> normal people would mostly laugh about it. There you go. I there you the, go. The thing that made Jordan Jordan is that he took every slight personally and turned it into fuel for just snatching souls out of his opponents. His, his right. Hall of Fame speech was notorious. He was still calling out people. Oh, that's, that's right. I wonder, I wonder if you'd trade Isn't places. Is it soul snatching two shots and loss of possession? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you'd trade places with most super successful people, or if you lived in their body and their head for a while, you'd think, this is terrible. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about competing uh, uh, every second of every day. I got oh, other man. things I'm interested in. I tell you what, I was just looking at pictures of Bill and Melinda Gates' new uh, Del Mar property. It's uh, like $34 million right on the beach and everything. I'd switch places with him for a week. But, just to, you know, but let, I me, think, do, let me try to get used yeah, to but this. I think he's closer to normal. He was really good at something, really got into it, then sold the company, has been a billionaire, and has other interests. And it's now helping out charities. And I'm the talking the about day. the people that stay fanatically focused on one thing their entire lives and become the best at it. I, I, don't, I honestly don't think you'd trade places with them if you could get in their heads. Yeah, most of them. I think it's a Rogan quote where he says, "Madness and greatness are neighbors, and they lend each other sugar." Something like that. Where <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah. it, it's a much shorter gap between those things than you would think. Well, we've said for a long time, uh, genius. I mean, like your super genius IQ of 162 graduates from Harvard at age 11. Uh, that's just a different sort of crazy. Your brain doesn't work anywhere near the way other people's do. It's a more manageable kind. Yeah. But it's not without its challenges. So, uh, or maybe. so they tell me. <laughs> Slowly and using simple words. <laughs> uh, among the bigger news stories of the day, uh, Joe Biden, who's the Democratic nominee for president, is has finally gone to a microphone and made a statement about uh, the woman accusing him of sexual misconduct. Well, rape. 
and um, and then did an interview on Morning Joe with MSNBC. So first, I guess, is unequivocal statement. She says in 1993, Mr. Vice President, that you pinned her against the wall and reached under her clothing and penetrated her with your fingers. Would you please go on the record with the American people? Did you sexually assault Tara Reid? No, it is not true. I'm saying unequivocally, it never, never happened. And it didn't. It never happened. So, um... You're waffling! She's on some Sunday show, and we'll see if she sounds believable. Uh, not that that really matters. Uh, that That's not the way it works in court, but... Uh, yeah, I've known some great liars in my time. I, I think the, the woman's got to screw loose. But uh, Mika Brzezinski did ask Joe Biden about his views on uh, on the Me Too movement during the Kavanaugh thing versus now. You were unequivocal, uh, Mr. Vice President, back in 2018 during the Kavanaugh controversy and hearings. And um, you said that women should be believed. You said this. For a woman to come forward in the glaring lights of focus nationally, you've got to start off with the presumption that at least the essence of what she is talking about is real. Whether or not she forgets the facts, whether or not it's been made worse or better over time. She's going to be going on national television on Sunday. Tara Reid is coming forward in the glaring lights. To use your words, should we not start off with the presumption that the essence of what she's talking about is real? She says you sexually assaulted her. Look, from the very beginning, I've said believing women means taking the woman's claim seriously when she steps forward and, and then vet it. Look into it. This, this, that, that's true in this case as well. Women have a right to be heard, and the, and the press should rigorously investigate claims they make. I'll always uphold that principle. But in the end, in every case, the truth is what matters. And in this case, the truth is the claims are false. Wow. I tell you what, and, and maybe jot down the date and the time I said this. Nice job, Mika. She asked the question with the complete quote and the rest of it, and... And actually, Joe's uh, answer was perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I, I wish he'd tacked on that last half about then you got to look into it and figure out whether it's true. He didn't bother with that during the Kavanaugh thing. So uh, something that's hanging out there is um, he's got uh, an archive of all of his records in political life, and uh, they are they ha- they haven't been released. And some people are claiming, well, there might be the official complaint from her in those archives, and he made the argument on Morning Joe, that the complaint wouldn't be in those archives. That's not where a personnel complaint would go. It would be in the Senate archives, and you can open those up and look at them. I don't have any control over that, but if there's something there, go ahead and look at it. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be with my Senate stuff um, anyway. Well, Mika asked the same couple of questions like ten times, well, longer, maybe more than that. It was a ten-minute wow. ten interview, and I was I got like five minutes in and thought, okay, I, you know, you keep asking the same thing, and he keeps giving the same answer. Maybe the goal was, hey, if I ask this doddering old man the same question over and over and over again, at some point he's either going to blow up or, you know, get his words wrong, Jack, and we'll have something interesting here. That might be what happened when we got to this point. Uh, Look, this is okay. a very sh- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. No, no, that's all. As we await for the records from the National Archives, are you absolutely certain, are you absolutely positive there is no record of any complaint by Tara Reid against you? 
I am absolutely positive that no one that I'm aware of ever has been made aware of any complaint, a formal complaint made by or a complaint by Tara Reid against me at the time this allegedly happened 27 years ago or until the, I announced for, well, it was, I guess it was in April or May of this year. I think you said the word huh? complain at least too too many times. <laughs> um, I, I think I got what he was saying. He's not aware or of, is aware of anybody being aware of the awareness. Well, of, he's trying to. He's a lawyer, but he's trying to. If if there's something in there, it's not. I don't know it, so he's trying to say not that I'm aware of. Mika followed up, asked him to clarify that a little bit. No, say Horace Crocker Crocker is going to roll away. <laughs> I, hope I would helps. have followed up with, where's Hunter? <laughs> oh, man. Where's Hunter? Tell you uh, what, Mika, Mika was trying to go all uh, Peter Strzok. Just ask him the same questions over and over and over again. Get him to make a mistake and then charge him with a Logan Act violation. <laughs> That's a legitimate <laughs> technique used by interrogators and lawyers. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, uh-huh. you know where I ran into that first time in my life is uh, trying to get life insurance. And I, I couldn't figure out what was happening. I did so many different interviews for this life insurance policy, and they kept asking me the same thing. And then, like, and these were long interviews. And like forty minutes later, they'd ask me again in a slightly so different how was way. Skydiving last weekend? <laughs> I told you I didn't. I've never skydived in my life. And I okay. and, and I at some point I said, "Are you are you guys not taking notes?" Or I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> Old simple Jack. But the, yeah, they're trying to get you to say at some point. Oh yeah, I uh, I like to get drunk and uh, go motocrossing. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's when you can really let loose when you're good and drunk. <laughs> yeah, it I makes a difference. It's funny. I've bought plenty of insurance in my life. I don't recall ever being grilled in person like that. It may have happened though. You uh, you didn't have stage three cancer. That's the oh, key to the whole right. life insurance thing. Right. Um, uh, and they asked me like 900 different ways of that. But um, oh, that's uh, probably delightful to go through. Oh, while yeah, you're going just, through that. It was yeah. pleasurable in every way. Oh, um, uh, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Joe Biden. So is this over now? Yes. Yeah, well, uh, there will be plenty of headlines today, you know, your blockbuster interview. And I guess this gal's making the rounds on the Sunday shows or doing one of them. Um, but no, there's nothing there. there. It's just, it's not of substance. And, and, and Trump has a number of, you know, fairly similar allegations out there. None of them proved and, you know, people are going to vote the way they're going to vote. I don't. I don't think any of this would change two votes across the the fruited plain. There would have to be a new revelation at some point, and I can't imagine what that would be. Yeah, even then, I'm not sure uh, it would change many minds. Michael Avenatti shows up with a new client. Yeah. Oh Lord, <laughs> that's what we're missing. He's still in uh, jail, right? I hope so. Didn't they? Uh... <laughs> what What a piece of work. They turned, uh, who'd they turn loose? Uh, oh, 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 Cohen. Michael Cohen. Pulse, what pulse? <laughs> um, He's out? Because of the COVID. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I he read he lied was... to the COVID? <laughs> well, I'm sure if the COVID asked him something, he'd lie to it just to, you know, stay in practice. <laughs> and record it. And record it, yeah. <laughs> and record it. <laughs> Oh, man, don't we need a character like that yes, right do. now? Absolutely. Doesn't America need, a, 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 a like, a central jackass? And we need something new, I'll tell you that. I mean, we were talking about this at our house yesterday. Just, we need, things got to change. <laughs> we, we can't keep doing this every day, people. 
It's just, <laughs> does anybody have, I don't know, the uh, Panther King out there or the Duke <laughs> of Crocodiles or <laughs> some documentary on weirdos or something? We need something. Yeah, we're going to get further into this coronavirus. Now. We're going to take a long look now at the 1987 Mets who finished fourth in their division. We've got a 15-part series. We've interviewed and, everybody. And then on Netflix, <laughs> The Prince of Orangutans. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I took a test and I found out that I have the antibodies. So tomorrow... I'm just going to go for a long drive in the car, and I'm going to roll down the window, and I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to breathe in the COVID-19 air. Yep. So Madonna has the antibodies, which means she had it at some point? What, you know what that means? I I'm sorry. I'm just, there's a lot to take in in that clip. <laughs> okay, so that's Madonna, freshly emerged from her rose-petaled, moronic, this is the it's great, great equalizer, equalizer. <laughs> bathtub. And now she's claiming she has the antibodies, is, is going to go breathe in what she refers to as the COVID air. Okay. Okay. I just, I'm sorry I had to come to terms with it. Um, she, was, she, she was such an astute businesswoman and self-promoter. Has she lost her mind now? Has she actually just gone nuts? Or is this like her new incarnation, some sort of bizarro earth mother for halfwits or what? It's the great equalizer. For <laughs> <Or> halfwits. <laughs> oh, man, I love that clip. So should mention Gallup poll came out today. Trump, uh, t- he's up six points and tying his all-time high of 49 and has the highest numbers he's ever had among independents. So if you're wondering how uh, America is looking at Trump currently, it's about 50-50 uh, right there in the middle, which is getting reelected uh, territory, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. We've got a long way to go. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Babylon B, which is kind of like The Onion, had a funny headline yesterday. YouTube removing all videos that don't begin with the Chinese national anthem. <laughs> I thought, thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Beaten up on YouTube for being too friendly to China. Yeah, yep. I uh, got a, a couple of good stories that are kind of semi-related to the COVID thing, speaking of China. Now, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what responses and restrictions are proper, which are improper, and, and how to change that. And and it's a, it's a hell of a topic. But I think we can all agree that this is probably not good, a... Detroit area doctor has been charged with not only refusing to close and still operating his uh, his clinics, the Allure Medical Spas, but he was also telling people he could protect them from COVID nineteen with vitamin C injections. So jabbing people full of vitamin C wow. and forcing his employees to work whether they wanted to or not, and at least one of them is now uh, COVID nineteen uh, mm-hmm. positive. So, uh, yeah, not good. That would be Dr. Charles Mock, M-O-K. Mockable, indeed. 
Cal Unicornia. It's funny how Michigan and California have, have achieved the uh, the status of most focused on COVID states, at least for you know a couple of days. California could be the first state to have to borrow to pay unemployment benefits during the coronavirus crisis. California's unemployment insurance fund, which was the most insolvent state fund coming into the coronavirus, will run out of money within the next couple of weeks. It's vying with New York and Ohio to be the first state fund to go negative since the last recession. Interesting. In terms of sheer budget problems uh, and unfunded pension mandates, Illinois is leading the field, but grossly underfunded unemployment, I guess California is leading the way. So uh, congratulations, Cal Unicornians. I guess they borrow from the federal government to pay pay the claims. Okay, super. Uh, Apparently, people are having trouble sleeping during this crisis, I guess. I don't know. That's what I'm being told here. And there was a study done about Americans and sleep and uh, things we do to get to sleep, to wake up, what we do when we're running late, hitting the snooze alarm, stuff like that. It's all kind of interesting. Yeah. We can discuss that coming up. I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning, couldn't go back to sleep. Wow. Could not turn off my brain. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm one of those people you're talking about, or maybe it's just my guilt. I had a weird thing where every day this week, oh, well, time's up. Well, he'll tell you next. And Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. He decided to focus only on Orange County because of the photos he saw in Newport and Huntington. And from what I've heard from lifeguard friends, that we did a pretty good job of social distancing here. Orange County's been on our list of, of health concern, and, uh, and we've done a wonderful job down there. I just think we can tighten that up a little bit. And so we're going to have a temporary pause on, on the beaches down there, um, state and local beaches. Uh, we want to work very closely with local elected officials. Are you now? Are you going to have a st- temporary pause there on the beaches in Southern California? Do you get to make that decision? The people of Orange County say you don't. So there are some meetings late last night, city council meetings, where they they uh, decided, no, we're going to challenge this. We don't think the governor gets to tell us we have to close our beach. Absolutely legitimate gripe, and I salute any county, any town, any state that's resisting central authority. i I got to ask this. We yelled at him for four hours yesterday about his tone, and in that statement, his tone was completely different. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? Oh, well, you know, somebody got in his ear and said, you know, you sound like a guy everybody would hate. The only thing he sounds like to me is somebody auditioning for the Batman part of the Batman role. (laughs) How's it going? I operate in the shadows. (laughs) The city of Huntington Beach is fighting Governor Gavin Newsom's orders to close all beaches and, uh, and state parks. Uh, The L.A. Times reports the city council saying it should be up to the county, not the state, voted Thursday night to seek an injunction against the order. This is Surf City. Our identity is very much tied up in our beaches. Constitutionally, I really feel it's not something legally the governor should be doing. So uh, that's the state of California. Oh, by the way, some numbers out today. California's got roughly a third the number of cases as the rest of the country per 100,000 residents, and the same with the deaths. 
So it's time to crack down. So it's time to crack down even more. And Close they, the parks. Close the beaches. Keep those businesses closed. And this same article points out the rural-urban divide in uh, all kinds of states across the country. And so, so I don't get to run a place that uh, changes oil and cars, or maybe those places are still open. Whatever my business is, I don't get to be open. We've had no cases and no deaths. I'll wear a mask if you make me. I'll make the customers stand six feet apart. I got to be open. It, it's so right. clear. It's so clear at this point. But so you've got the challenge going on with the governor of Michigan. The two hot spots are California and Michigan, where Governor Whitmer is also cracking down, and the her own legislature. Uh, re- controlled by Republicans, but they're fighting back, saying you've exceeded your uh, uh, emergency powers, and they're trying to pass various stuff to challenge her and actually sue her, saying she doesn't get to make these rules. So it'll be interesting to see how this all turns out. You know, it's and I think these people are getting caught up. They're getting uh, you know, just uh, I've called it monomania. They're getting obsessed with prevented cases, which is you know if you're going to be obsessed with something, I, that's a reasonable thing to be obsessed with these days, but. Uh, over at the dispatch, Jonah Goldberg and Steve Hayes and their crew, they recommended this uh, editorial, you know, philosophical uh, musing over at Politico. And so I thought, okay, that sounds good. I'll, I'll take a read at it because the headline is, are you willing to let people die to end the shutdown? And it goes on and on about, listen, it's touchy. Nobody wants to address it directly. Yes, but, I'll say it out loud. Yes. Well, nobody's uh, ready to address it directly, except you, Jack. Um, actually, I am. But he goes in at some length back and forth about, you know, this politician, this journalist talking about we need to get the economy going, get people back to work. But nobody wants to admit that, yes, people will die because of that. And uh, that's silly. There's so many examples of that. We're willing to let people die in drunk driving wrecks rather than have the police stop everybody going down every street after two o'clock in the morning. Right. For instance, you could come up with a dozen good examples, and that's an excellent one. But I went through this entire piece that was allegedly, you know, learned and thoughtful. And at no point, not for half a sentence, did they mention that, oh, that's right, economic collapse leads to people dying, poor health outcomes, deaths of despair and addiction. It's not, you're not even understanding the question you're asking. If, what they're trying to say is, you know, you need to admit that if you open businesses, more people will die. No, dude, you need to admit if we don't open businesses, more people will die. And it might indeed be way more people from the collapse of the economy than the coronavirus. So stop with your, it's money versus lives. It's lives versus lives, you numbskull. Who, who wrote this? Hang on a second. Um, bah, 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 bah. I'd like to get him on the phone and grill him. John F. Harris. Founding editor of Politico. How do you miss that, John? Uh, we'll be talking about this for days to come, but it'll be interesting to see how it turns out over the weekend. I don't know. The governors of uh, California and Michigan will be in a different place on Monday, and we'll talk about it then. Big study of sleep, since people are struggling with sleep during this, I guess. That's what they say. Is that true? I don't know. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, top five feelings after waking up. They surveyed people. Number five, and this is the the, the, the least of the choices. 11% of people say when they wake up in the morning, their immediate feeling is motivated. Well, I'm envious of you. That is not generally my feeling. Uh, That's what I look for. That's not the first feeling. 
I say, come on now. You got a show to do? That coffee's going to taste great? A lot of good stuff to talk about today. Shut up. I want to go back to sleep, says the other part of my brain. Oh, come on now. 12, I try. 12% they're feeling after waking up grumpy. I'm not that. Number three, happy. I'm not that either. Sneezy. <laughs> Doc. <laughs> Number two, I think I'm this one, indifferent. I'm just <laughs> up home, huh? I'll be darned another day. I should have seen this coming. Well, I woke up again. Looks like I got to... <laughs> Right. <laughs> See, this is an M through F day, so I guess I've got to go to work. So I guess I'll do that. <sighs> Step one, pants. Maybe tonight will be the night. Yeah. <laughs> and number one uh, is groggy. 29% groggy. Those are toxins. You ever wake up tired? <laughs> Those are toxins. You ever, wake up you ever feel bloated and fat? Toxins. Toxins. Uh, wake up fatigued, achy. Five causes of waking up in a bad mood. Toxins. Yep, toxins. Number, Number five, <laughs> uh, this is actual science, street noise. Number four, partner tossing and turning. Yes. Why is having a new pug puppy not on this list? Oh, that should boy. be on the list. Mm. Uh, number three, an uncomfortable mattress. What are you putting up with that for? Uh, number two, negative event in personal life. Reason for waking up in a bad mood. Mm. That doesn't go on your whole life, though, does it? You mean just today? or I suppose that depends on your individual choices. You could just have a really bad run of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Having a bad run. Number one reason for waking up in a bad mood, though, staying up too late. <laughs> oh, boy. Hello. Hello. There you go. Thank like you. the old Seinfeld routine of night guy and morning guy. Yeah. Night guy does not give a damn about morning guy. No. Does Very not care rude. about his responsibilities or needs. Oh, hey, uh, we have just enough time to squeeze this in. Uh, we asked the question yesterday, roughly at this point in the show, as as I recall, what does the phrase balls to the wall mean? Oh, I mean, what, why do you even have to say that? What is the origin of it? Maybe you need to get your mind out of the gutter, mister. It's not a testicle reference? We had several pilots, military pilots, say that the uh, the And throttle, military pilots have giant testicles. Oh, that's right. That's right, and sometimes if the plane begins to shake, it's comforting to press them against the wall. No, that's not what they said. No, the the throttle on an airplane is a handle with two balls on either side, so your hand doesn't come off of it. And if you're going to go full throttle, I mean really kick ass, you push uh, the balls forward almost to the front wall of the cockpit and the instrument panel. Balls to the wall specifically refers to full throttle in an airplane. There wouldn't be 1% of people, I don't think, that don't think it's some sort of testicle reference. I would agree. I always did. Huh. I caught, so, it's, so if you're bent over, back up against the wall for some reason, thinking that's the way to show you're serious, uh, don't bother. <laughs> get your Get yours off of the wall. <laughs> It's not doing you any good. Uh, Our text line is 415-295-KFTZ. Armstrong and Getty. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. No, no, that's all. As we await for the records from the National Archives, 
Are you absolutely certain? Are you absolutely positive there is no record of any complaint by Tara Reid against you? I am absolutely positive that no one that I'm aware of ever has been made aware of any complaint, a formal complaint made by or a complaint by Tara Reid against me at the time this allegedly happened 27 years ago or until the, I announced for, pre- well, it was, I guess it was in April or May of this year. Woo! So that's from Joe Biden this morning. Now, he did it at some point. He opened with, he unequivocally stated that this never happened. He never uh, 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 raped or whatever you want to call it, this woman, Tara Reid. Uh, I said to Sean, though, we might as well play the embarrassing Biden clip. And Sean <laughs> said, Sean said, you're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> but um, uh, I picked out the one where he sounded the worst. But mostly it was fine. It was Joe Biden saying, no, I never did this. Uh, I didn't do anything like this. I've never done anything like this. There's no complaint, blah, blah, blah. And we're thinking it's over. Lon He J. Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University, and joins us now. Lon He, how are you, sir? I am fine. How are you, gentlemen? We're, we're great, uh, you know, all things considered. So do you think the uh, Joe Biden uh, sexual assault thing is more or less uh, over? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, and I say I don't know because the the Democratic Party and where it is now uh, is very different than where the Democratic Party was when Joe Biden spent most of his time in politics. And what I mean by that is the the elements of the far left that have essentially occupied the party, and we saw this during during the presidential primary, uh, I, I think are going to continue to push Biden. They're going to continue to push him on this. And while under ordinary circumstances, an interview like that would have would have kind of lanced the boil, I'm just not so sure that folks are going to be willing to let go of this uh, at, at this point. And it, it, this is just one of those issues that's really hard. I mean, how do you square what he said with the, the way that he treated, for example, Brett Kavanaugh during during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings? I think I think these are questions that are going to continue. And I'm just not sure that that interview today did it. For hmm. Well, I get those as questions from the right, because I do still have those questions. The way you wanted to change college campuses, the way you went after Kavanaugh, I need more explanation for how that squares with this. But in terms of the left, what would the left push him to do? I mean, what else can he do? Well, I, I, I think, you know, you saw this with the Washington Post editorial board saying he, he ought to release his papers, make make them completely open, the ones that are that are that are held at the University of Delaware. Um, I think more questions will arise. There's some dispute, for example, over whether, in fact, the National Archives is the place where a complaint from his Senate uh, time would be would be held. I think that's that's a question. Yeah, he said no personnel stuff would be in those archives that people are demanding opening. So there's just no point. Yeah, but but, you know, I think that's not going to be satisfactory to some, you know, particularly. and, And here's where the thing on the left comes to play, because I think on the left, you know, there there are some who are agitating and saying, look, you know, is there more there? We cannot have a, a nominee of our party who the nominee of the Democratic Party, that is, who who is tainted by this kind of thing. And, and they want to know more. Now, that may just be a, a way of them trying to, to get Biden out, which is highly, highly uh, improbable now. But my point is simply that. I just think that that the agitation among some quarters of the left is going to continue to dog his campaign. So, yeah, I'm reminded of the quote from Orwell that we more or less started the show with this morning in which he's talking in 1984 about the the reason you acquire power is for power. Power is the goal. 
And if the AOC crowd can get rid of the last vestige of the old moderate Democrat crowd, they don't care if they lose to Trump in the doing of that. In the same way that, like, your dispatch anti-Trump Republicans, they're more than willing to lose to Biden to get rid of Trump. So, anyway. Oh, hey, speaking of the election and and parties and the rest of it, as a libertarian-leaning fellow, I was fairly excited to see Justin Amash, a non-crackpot, mostly, uh, get into the race. What do we know about him? What do you think of the dynamics of that? If if indeed he does, and I think he will. Yeah, you know, this is a tough one. I've kind of heard it argued both ways, that his presence hurts Biden and his presence hurts Trump. I've kind of heard it both ways. I mean... I look, I think our political system is better off when we have people who fill parts of, of lanes or parts of, of people's political interests that wouldn't be filled otherwise. And I, I do think that there are a number of people who are concerned on the right about how the Republican Party seems increasingly comfortable embracing big government, how it's increasingly comfortable uh, embracing lots of spending, how it's increasingly comfortable embracing the, the role of the nanny state. In, in policing people's lives. And I Amen. think Justin Amash presents an alternative to that. Now, for the left... You yeah, know, so it, it you, you just case. explained the, the part to me that makes the most sense. So that damages right. a Republican candidate because he's it small government. Trump. But I, I have heard also the arguments that it hurts Biden more. Please explain that to me. I don't get it at all. Well, I think I think that, that the notion there is that you've got this this um, this, this sort of group of voters who... Are, are they're just uncomfortable with Biden for whatever reason, but they can't vote for Trump because they really don't like Trump, so they need to put their vote somewhere else. So they're going to put it with Justin Amash. That basically he's a placeholder for whatever it is they don't like about about uh, about Joe Biden and they don't like about Donald Trump. I don't think that's a very big percentage of people to to sort of betray my my, my true feeling on this. I don't think there's a ton of people who would vote that way. But the idea, again, is just do you have an alternative to vote for who's not, you know, you just you really don't like Joe Biden for whatever reason and you can't bring yourself to vote for Trump. Well, then you vote for someone like Amash, who who has been, you know, principled on on a number of different things. Uh, And so, you know, that's where you that's where you put your vote. Hey, Jack, do you mind if we do a minute? I know we've been talking about this a lot, but it's always great to talk to Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, and get your point of view, Lon He. Let's talk a little bit about civil liberties and the COVID response. What's your take on what's happening these days? Well, people are understandably uh, uncomfortable with the idea, for example, of tech companies like you know Apple and Facebook having more control over personal data that could be used at some point down the road for, for, for the gain of those companies. It would be one thing if you said, look, we're going to use the data to geolocate people to, to ensure we're not spreading coronavirus. That's one thing. But I think people are, are nervous because the tech companies in particular have been shown to not be trustworthy. Well, what about the, uh, in the limited time we have, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but what about the mass closures of so many businesses and the rationale going from flattening the curve to just eliminating cases if we can? Yeah, just right. last night well, you had uh, Southern California saying, no, we make our own decisions in our county, not the governor. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, the, the, the goalposts keep shifting on this. The reason why we were 
sheltering in place to flatten the curve was precisely because we didn't want to overburden our healthcare system. It's clear our healthcare system is not going to be overburdened. So now that we've achieved that goal, we, we do need to responsibly reopen the economy. We, we cannot be out there. I've heard people argue, well, what we need to do is we need to save every life possible. That, that is not the goal of public policy in this case. It should not be the goal because it's unachievable fundamentally. We, we, we have to realize that, by the way, there's a ton of other problems with closing the economy and keeping it closed. People's livelihoods, people's health, that's affected too. Yeah, that's the point we've been trying to make, and it was funny, strange. I read this allegedly great piece in Politico in which the guy did not even acknowledge that a crushed economy will cost lives. Maybe half as many lives as the COVID, maybe as many, maybe three times as many. So we're not trading lives for money. We're trading lives for money and lives. Yeah, and, and, and that's one thing, by the way, these epidemiological models, they never account for. Sure. They, they don't account for the fact that people are sheltering in place, which means rates of obesity and rates of other diseases are going to rise, that elective procedures have been canceled, which means cancer diagnoses have been missed. There's all sorts of things. And I'm not saying that, that the number of those people overwhelms the number of people who would have died from coronavirus, but you've got you to consider all of that. And public policy has to be balanced. It can't be out of balance. And I, I fear that right now there's a little bit of out of balance in some states, California especially. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I hope you're, uh, you and yours are healthy. We are. Thank you. Thanks, Lon Heath. Um, I heard a, another explanation of why they uh, some people think that Amash getting into the race as a libertarian hurts Biden more than Trump. I could get into that if you get next hour. If you don't, grab it at armstrongandgetty.com uh, via podcast if you like. Yeah, I'm kind of mystified by that theory, too, so I'd like to hear it. There's another hour of this show? Yep. Oh. Some people get it. Very exciting. Armstrong and Getty.